Um, we're in Mark 14, and we've come as far as verse 10, where it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, so he sought how he might conveniently betray him. If you're going to betray somebody, you want it to be convenient. Right? <laughs> um, Mark had just told us about the... Um, Incident with the woman who poured out the costly nard upon Jesus' head, broke the flask and poured it on him, and, and how the disciples became indignant. We know that was instigated by Judas. He was the first to uh, object because this could have been sold, given to take care of the poor. And so... Uh, it appears that this is the last straw for Judas. He just can't take any more of this. Uh, we know he was taking care of the purse, so this could have been sold for 300 days' wages and put into the purse. And, and he's maybe thinking, how can I get ahead if everyone keeps wasting what should be in the money pot? I need to find some other way to increase my retirement fund. So he's going to the chief priest and I'll get some more money for his 401k. But it's not only this issue with the money, but his opinion has also be, dis, has been disrespected. His righteous opinion, you know, has been disrespected. And Jesus says, no, that's not, you know, the way it is. And so he goes to them uh, and they promised to give him money. They were glad that he showed up. You know, they had decided, well, we're not going to do anything during the feast. We're just going to wait until people start going home, and then we'll grab him, you know, if we can. Uh, but now there's this convenient situation that occurs, and so uh, they're glad that he's come to them. Here's an inside man that can tell them what needs to be done to keep the crowds from being stirred up. So they promised to give him money. Over in Matthew 26 and verse 15, uh, he says, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And then later in Matthew 27 and verse 3, after uh, Jesus has been betrayed, uh, in verse 3, Judas, it says, Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? You see to it. That's your problem, buddy. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. So they're concerned about this. Uh, technicality of putting the money back in the treasury, but they didn't care enough to try to help Judas, you know, with his problem. And they consulted together and, and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day, when Mark was writing this. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of, is, of Israel Christ, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. And uh, this is 
a quote from Zechariah, uh, chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. He says, Then I said to them, If it's agreeable to you, give me my wages. Zechariah was working as a, a shepherd. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And so this uh, is a prophecy concerning this betrayal of uh, Judas or by Judas of Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. And um, Matthew says in Jeremiah the prophet, and a lot of people get upset about that because it's a quote from Zechariah. Uh, But uh, it's credited to Jeremiah simply because in Jesus' day, Jeremiah was the first of the books of the prophets. And so in our Bible, the order is different, but Jeremiah was the first in their section of prophets, and that section was identified by the name of the first book. And so uh, they've had the the law, the writings, and the prophets, right? And each of those was distinct. So in verse 12 then, we're told, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And in the evening he came with the twelve. And as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. And the Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And so we see this beginning of the uh, time of Passover. Uh, People come to different conclusions concerning the timing of the Last Supper, the Passover, and the crucifixion, depending upon how they interpret the gospel passages that present it. The timing is not precisely spelled out. So I'm going to be giving you my perspective, but you may see other people thinking of different ways, what day, and so forth. Uh, Wayne McDonald says, although the exact chronology is not certain, we have probably now come to Thursday of Passover week. And I agree with that in a way. I think we've come to uh, Wednesday evening, which is when Thursday began on the Jewish calendar. Um, by the way, none of this timing is going to be on the entrance exam. You know, So uh, we know what it takes for us to be saved and to be with the Lord, and that's putting our trust in Jesus. So these things are interesting, but they're not, you know, it's not disqualifying. Oh, you you thought the timing was that? Oh, I'm sorry. Because some of this language used in the Gospels is not precise, and I don't believe it's intended to be precise, some conclude that Jesus died on Wednesday, some on Thursday, and of course some on Friday, which is, we call it Good Friday. Um, and so there are these different opinions, and they try to work it out on the calendar in different ways. And one Bible teacher that I, I like a lot, you know, one I heard him say once, 
I've held each one of these at some point <laughs> in my life, you know, as he's looked at the evidence and tried to come to it. And but here in verse 12 where he says, on the first day of unleavened bread, the word is protos, first. It can mean first, but it can also mean in front of, before, or prior to. And so we're getting more of a general statement here. Uh, so it could be translated now before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Yeshua saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? The evidence indicates that the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are approaching, certainly. At this time, Jesus sends his disciples to make arrangements. Mark tells us his readers, or Mark tells his readers who may be unfamiliar with Judaism that it is before the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they kill the Passover. We're coming to this time of Unleavened Bread, and by the way, this is when the Passover is killed. He doesn't say that this is the day that they kill the lamb, but it is in this season or time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that this takes place. The timing seems to me to be more clearly indicated in the Gospel of John than in the Synoptic Gospels. In John 13:1, for example, we're told now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's saying it's before the feast of the Passover, and we'll see some other uh, scriptures that indicate that. Passover's on Nisan the 14th, as we discussed. The, the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins on Nisan 15, which is, you know, the next evening. You got um, 14th is from evening to evening. And then the 15th, you know, right after they uh, kill the Passover lambs, the 15th would begin. And that would run through the 21st. That Seven-day feast of unleavened bread. The first day is a Sabbath. The last day is a Sabbath. And that comes into the timing as well because we know Jesus was taken off the cross because he wasn't to be left on the cross for the Sabbath. And uh, many people naturally interpret that as the regular weekly Sabbath. But there was more than one Sabbath that week. And so that has to be taken into account. Uh, with Read that in Exodus 12. We read about the timing of the feast and so forth. So he sends out these two disciples and tells them, you go into the city, you'll meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. And then he tells him these other things that are going to happen as, it, as they go. I believe this is a word of knowledge. Jesus knows what they're going to encounter as they go. And uh, this reminds me of uh, when Samuel spoke to King Saul. It was back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verse 1 through 6. It says, this is when uh, Saul was being anointed as king. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, Saul's head, and kissed him. And said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you'll find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilzah. Uh, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys, and he's worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. In case you meet three other guys, you know, you got to know what they're carrying, so... 
And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And after that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesied. So we want to make sure it's not a group for for other prophets if they're not carrying this stuff. Right. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So he gives him all these detailed things that are going to happen after he uh, departs from Samuel. I think Saul needed a lot of signs. He was a very insecure <laughs> man. And so he needed to know all these things. That, oh, I guess this is of God, you know, that this is happening. Well, uh, Jesus tells him, you go into the city, you're going to see this man carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. And where he goes in, you know, tell the master of the house, um, the uh, Messiah wants to come, have his Passover feast here, and he'll show you this large upper room that's furnished. And he says, prepare there. So uh, they go into the city. This is what happens, of course. But uh, carrying a water pitcher was usually a woman's duty. It was very unusual for a man to be carrying a water pitcher. Um, if a man carried water, it was usually in a skin bag that was larger and heavier than a pitcher. So he had a big, you know, a bag that he would carry. So this is unusual in its own right. Um, they were unlikely to encounter more than one man carrying a pitcher. And so when they saw this, uh, they knew that this was the guy. Wherever he goes in, tell him that the teacher wants this room the Oskalos, an instructor or a master. This is where Jesus would be eating the Passover with his disciples if he were not arrested before that event. He had a prior appointment to keep in dying for the sins of the world as the Passover lambs were being slain on Nisan 14. I believe he was crucified at the time that those lambs were being slain preparing for the Passover. There's some secrecy involved here. No one will know where the room is until they go there, other than these two who are sent ahead. Uh, Luke tells us, tells us these two were Peter and John, who Jesus sent ahead to prepare the room. And he will show you this large upper room. This would seem to be the upper room that the believers occupy through the day of Pentecost and perhaps beyond. It's in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. When they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. So this is after the ascension of Jesus. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And so they are meeting here in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. I think it's probably the same upper room. So the disciples go out into the city. They found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. So they prepare the Passover. They get all things ready for the feast at twilight on the 14th. Jesus dies on the 14th of Nisan, or sometimes Abib, uh, the month is called, as the Passover lambs are being killed. Jesus dies on Passover, not on the day after Passover, which would be the first day of unleavened bread, the 15th. That would be a high, it's called a high Sabbath because it's the, the Sabbath that begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, the Jews would not have anyone on the cross on that day. Jesus was not 
crucified the day after Passover. The legs of the thieves that were crucified with Jesus were broken so that they would not be on the crosses as this day begins. Remember, the Jewish day runs from sundown to sundown, modeled on the Genesis creation days, not midnight to midnight like our days. And that makes it kind of hard to figure out because our minds are set up to think about days in a certain way. Their, their minds were set up to think about days in a different way. Reconciling all the accounts can be uh, complex, but I think this Sabbath that we're talking about is the key. Uh, they were taken down from the cross so that they would not defile the Sabbath, which would be the 15th of Nisan. Uh, they had to be taken down before that day, and so uh, that means the evening of the 14th, which is, which is right before that 15th begins, that's when the Passover would be slain. They would eat the Passover then in the evening after that. Part of the issue is that the word Passover became the descriptor for the entire week, combining the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The language is not always precise. Um, as an example, we have a term Christmas time, which may be used for a definite or an indefinite period. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, Christmas time, it started after Thanksgiving. Now it starts way before, of course, you know. Uh, but this whole period, it was like, you know, and then especially, you know, you get the two weeks off from school. Oh, then it's really approaching, you know, and then it's Christmas time, you know. And, of course, then there's Christmas Day. And some people would say, well, that's Christmas time. So you, you have these different understandings of terms or words. The Jews in Babylon captivity also combined the two feasts into one. And so they began it on Nisan the 15th to Nisan the 21st. And when they returned, there, was, there actually becomes a situation where uh, groups of people are celebrating it on different days because uh, the Jews in Israel would celebrate it on the 14th. They would begin on the 14th. The Jews who had come back would still be celebrating on the 15th. Actually, throughout the world now, uh, as Passover is celebrated, people outside of Israel celebrate it two days. On the 14th and the 15th, the Jews in Israel celebrate it on one day. Encyclopedia Judaica says the Feast of Passover consists of two parts, the Passover ceremony and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Originally, both parts existed separately, but at the beginning of the Babylonian exile, they were combined. Now, the Passover itself is not a Sabbath. The first and last days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread are both high Sabbaths, no matter what day they fall on. In addition, there were two different processes of determining the new moon that determined the beginning of the month. So that would be the first day of Nisan, Abib. In Israel, they look to see the new moon. In Babylonian times, they look for the first crescent. So a slight difference there. And these resulted at times in different beginnings of the month of Nisan Abib, and thus different 14th and 15th of the month. You can see it's kind of not easy to just look at this and say, well, that's, what, that's when it happened. You know, that's what happened. Possibly, this is Henry Morris, he says, possibly the best explanation is that there were different calendars in use. Jesus died as the Passover victims were being slain, according to the official calendar, but he had held the Passover with his followers the previous evening, according to an unofficial calendar. 
So if this is indeed a Passover feast that we're approaching where he institutes the Lord's Supper, then it was early. It was not on the day when the lambs were being slain. I think rather it's probably um, a meal that they have together that's not specifically the Passover. So some of the Jews would observe the day on one day, some on the other, and that's still true today. I don't want to be too complex. It's not really necessary. Uh, you can look into it further, uh, the further details if you're interested because there's lots of stuff out there uh, that you can find that discusses this. Many resources are available and there's much disagreement. Uh, Zola Levitt, a Jewish believer in Jesus, used to say, uh, this was not original with him, I'm sure, but he used to say, where you have two Jews, you have three opinions. The important point for us is that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was crucified on the true date of Passover, Nisan 14, and was buried before the beginning of the first high Sabbath of Nisan 15. The Jews did not want any bodies on the cross on one of these high Sabbath days. Thus, the legs of those crucified with Jesus were broken. The timing in John, John 13 Verses 1 and 2, we read verse 1, Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So John begins uh, this passage from chapter 13 through 17 after supper being ended. He doesn't cover the time of the supper. It's the only, it's the only gospel that's not covered in. So it's before the Passover. Jesus has his last supper with the apostles. If this is a Passover meal, it's not on the evening of the 14th, but on the 13th, which would be on a different calendar, since Jesus would not have been crucified on the 15th, the high Sabbath. This may have been a traditional Seder meal, which began being celebrated in captivity, according to some. And there's some evidence. You know, if you look at and you compare this with the, the Seder that's celebrated now, and that's synonymous with Passover for many Jewish people, probably most. Uh, if you look at the order of service and so forth, you see a lot of similar, similarities. One source I saw pointed out 12 uh, similarities between the Seder, and the Last Supper as Jesus presenting. And he says, this is my body, this is my blood. There's no mention of a lamb at this supper of Jesus with the disciples. As Jesus told Isaac in Genesis 22.8, Isaac says, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice or a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And Jesus is the lamb that is going to be sacrificed. Um, now at the Seder, they have a, they don't have a lamb either. They have a shank bone of a lamb that's on the plate. Uh, this began being practiced. Again, some, some think 70 A.D., some uh, say the Babylonian captivity. It was when there was no temple for the uh, Passover to be celebrated, and the people in exile thought well, it was not right for us to... Uh, have a lamb if we don't have a temple for it to be done in. And so that's when they would begin this you know, other uh, alternate uh, ceremony. 
in John 18:28, when Jesus is arrested and they lead Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium to Pilate, says it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So they have not yet uh, eaten the Passover. Uh, they needed to get all the leaven out first, so they had to get rid of Jesus, according to their thinking, you know, before they could celebrate the Passover. Uh, John 19:14, um, before Pilate, uh, John says, now it was the preparation day of the Passover. They're getting ready for the Passover. About the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. And so, uh, again, we see that... Um, they have not yet celebrated the Passover. You've got, um, again, Nisan 14 till evening, then it's Nisan 15, a high Sabbath. The regular weekly Sabbath is also still observed. Many times there would be three Sabbaths in this seven-day period of unleavened bread. Sometimes one of the high Sabbath days would fall on the regular Sabbath, and they were observed together in that case. You didn't have... You know, two Sabbath days in, you had one, and it was the combination of the two. And uh, some people think that's the instance here, uh, you know, that uh, the 15th fell on that Friday, and so that's why you have Good Friday. I think uh, Jesus was sacrificed on the 14th, the afternoon of uh, a Thursday afternoon. Um, the 15th began, it was a Sabbath, couldn't go to the tomb to anoint a body that and then the regular Sabbath began. And so they couldn't get there until after Jesus was raised from the dead. John 19.31 says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so we see again the issue of not having people on the cross on the Sabbath day. Uh, they still have not yet killed the lambs or eaten the Passover meal at this point. Uh, this cannot be so if this day is the 15th Nisan. How could the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread be called the preparation for the Passover when on 15 Nisan the, the lamb would have already been slain? Further, the 15th was a high Sabbath, not merely the regular weekly Sabbath. Such an activity as the crucifixion would have profaned a Sabbath and caused an uproar from the Jewish laymen as the Jewish leaders feared and planned around to avoid just such a disaster. Uh, Nolan, Nolan Lloyd-Jones says, who is an uh, excellent chronologist, he gets into many, many details. So. They prepare the Passover, and if you look at the passages in the Synoptic Gospels, it'll be talking about them going to prepare the Passover. It doesn't say that they're celebrating the Passover. And so, uh, verse 17 of Mark 14 then says that, uh, interesting language here, it says, In the evening he came with the twelve. Not in the evening he went with the twelve to this place, but in the evening he came with the twelve, which indicates that the observer is there when they come. Right? In the evening, he came with the twelve. This is likely an indication that uh, this large upper room was at 
Mark's, John Mark's family's home. And so he's there as a young man. We know, well, I'm pretty sure later on he appears in this text. Doesn't use his name, but we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. So Mark's family home, yes, uh, Jesus and his disciples came, not went. In Acts 12.12, 12, we know that after Peter had been released from prison by the angel, uh, in verse 12 of Acts 12, it says, When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So I think we're talking about the same upper room uh, in this instance. Again, that's not a certainty. So he comes with the twelve. And as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. In John thirteen eighteen, Jesus spoke this to his disciples again. He said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Quoting Psalm 41, 9, uh, and concerning this betrayal that's taken place, Jesus says this was prophesied. And so Jesus fulfill, or Judas fulfills this prophecy. Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, we also see, he says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Uh, betrayal. It isn't that Jesus was taken unawares. He was betrayed. But he knew it was coming. He could have escaped if he desired. He could have said, well, I know Judas is coming. I'm getting out of town. You know. And he had told them previously... Uh, when they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, it says, uh, Mark 9, 9, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. So he begins to speak to them about this. Then in the end of Mark chapter 9, verses 31 32, says, he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. So he brings out the fact that he's going to be betrayed. And uh, he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they're going to kill him. He'll be raised from the dead, but they don't get that part at all. In Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, says, As they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. So they're going up to Jerusalem, and the disciples are afraid because it's been dangerous there for Jesus recently. And so he begins to tell them this, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. He's given them more detail. Before he was just going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He'd be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. Wow, it's not you know, just into the hands of men, but you got the chief priests, the scribes, and then he's going to, they're going to turn him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him 
and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. So they're not just going to kill him. It's not going to be quick. <laughs> he gives them more details. Mock him, scourge him, spit on him, kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But at this point, they're told that it's one of them who will betray him. This has not come out before. He's just going to be betrayed. you know. But now, one of them, one of the twelve, is going to be the one to betray him. And it says they were sorrowful. They began to be sorrowful and they began to ask him, is it I? Is it I? So here are these uh, 11 guys. Judas may be gone at this Well, he's not gone at this point because he speaks up as well. So these 12 guys are sitting here looking around at each other maybe, you know. But uh, the eleven know their weaknesses and their sinfulness, and they're truly concerned lest it be one of them. That is, lest it be me. You know, I'm, could I do this? <laughs> Am I a betrayer of Jesus? Jesus is saying this, that one of them is the betrayer, so it must be true, but it's unimaginable to them. One who sat with him knew that he was the one who would betray him. He's already made the arrangement. But he doesn't speak up and say, it's I. <laughs> it would have been a good time for confession because Jesus, you know, the situation could have been remedied and taken care of. Now, prophecy would have still been fulfilled. We don't know how that would have happened, but, you know, Judas had a will and he could have said, well, you know, I can see that I've been thinking all wrong, and I'm actually, you know, I went to the chief, and, you know, here's the money. <laughs> Great time for confession. But Judas also asks, is it I? You see, he needs to fit in so his cover will not be blown. In Matthew 26:25, Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you said it. When Jesus said, you've said it, you'll find that trans, you know, in some translations, he'll say that once in a while. And that means, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. He says that about, you know, they ask him if he's the son of God. You said it. In uh, Luke 22, verses 21 through 23, Jesus tells them at this time, Behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. There's a disagreement about whether uh, Judas was actually there for the Last Supper or whether he departed ahead of time. You can kind of find that a different idea in different places. And so they're asking, is it I, is it I? In verse 20, he answers and says, it's one who dips with me in the dish. Uh, at the meal, they would have a big communal dish that they would take sops, you know, they would take sops with pieces of bread and they would take it out. And Jesus says, the guy who's betraying me, he's dipping with me in the, in the pot here. And these guys are, are still wondering who it is. None of them suspected Judas. That's interesting. You know, he didn't. He didn't say one of you who's here will betray me. And the hand, you know, the hand of my betrayer is on the table. And they didn't all turn and look at G Judas. You know, 
He was a trusted disciple. He was entrusted with an important task in taking care of the funds. They all ask, is it I? No one asks, is it he? (laughs) Of any of them, you know. But Peter's curious, right? He wants to know who it is. And the arrangement of the table here, um, I won't go into all the arrangements of it, but but you can look it up. There's a U-shaped table at these feasts. And there's a place for the guest of honor and a place for the guy who was going to be washing feet, the lowest spot at the table. And and it indicates that Peter's across from Jesus. Jesus is the host. So Peter's in the spot of washing feet. Peter doesn't wash his feet, right? He's probably a little perturbed. So Jesus gets up and he washes the feet. You know, this is all for, for Peter's sake, all this, this part of it. But next to Jesus is the guest of honor. And he gives him a piece of bread, right? After he dips it in, gives it to Judas. He's the guest of honor at the Last Supper. You can see all the things we're talking about here. We'll see more. Uh, He's showing his love to Judas. Giving him an opportunity. This is the, the grace and the love of the Lord. He knows what he's facing in this betrayal and, and what he's going to be experiencing um, and, you know, see, you know, it's, the the physical part was bad, but that wasn't the worst of it. You know, the, the bad part is the wrath of God. Jesus took that upon Himself for us. He knows this is coming. He knows Judas is the the source of this, and yet He's showing Judas all this grace and love. Well, it's John 13 is where we we see the other passage. Um, can't think of the fellow's name right now. Uh, he spoke at one of the pastors' conferences, and he goes into all. The, he's got a book on it where he goes into all these uh, arrangements at the Last Supper and how this would all be set up to fit what we're reading here uh, in the passage. And uh, John would be on one side, Judas would be on the side where the guest of honor sat, and so John's leaning back on Jesus' breast. You know, so Judas is next to him the other way, uh, and in. John 13:21 it says when Jesus had said these things he was troubled in spirit and testified and said most assuredly I say to you one of you will betray me and then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke and there was leaning on Jesus's bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved and we know that's John's term for himself and Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke so Peter's across the table at the the open end of the U-shape is where he would be. And he's like, John, ask him who's going to do it, you know. And uh, so it says, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So get this betrayal out of the way. You know, if you're going to do it, then do it quickly. Do it now. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Now, um, Peter and John should have had a pretty good idea. Is he, is he saying it's Judas? Well, that doesn't make any sense. But they didn't know why he said this to Judas. And some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. 
So again, you know, as he's saying, he needs to buy stuff for the feast. This is not a Sabbath day on which this is taking place either. And having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And so this one who dips with him in the dish is the one. And then he says in verse 21, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. David Guzik points out, in the warning of Jesus, we see a profound love for Judas. This was his last fleeting opportunity to turn back from his evil plot. A remarkable thing to remember is that Jesus loved both Mary and Judas. You know, earlier in the chapter where Mary pours out this alabaster flask upon him, um, great love of Mary toward Jesus, but Jesus loved Mary and commended her for this uh, great act of sacrifice. So, but he loved Judas too. We almost want to think that he loved Mary and hated Judas, but that's not the case. If we miss his love toward Judas, rejected love to be sure, if we miss that love, we miss the whole story. The love of God toward sinners. Judas was a sinner. He was another sinner. The other guys were sinners. We're all sinners. It's the love of God toward sinners. And it doesn't matter what stripe of sinner a person is. You can be a very moral sinner. Or you can be the most dastardly sinner upon the earth if you repent then you will be forgiven. You will be taken into the fold of God, family of God. Well, Jesus said it's here better to have never been born. He doesn't say it's better that if he had never been conceived, because if you're not born, but you don't survive beyond that, unborn humans who die are redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ. So it's better if he'd never been born, but still existed, because then he would have, you know, if he died in that state, he would have gone to heaven just as, you know, little infants, you know, if they die after birth, they're going to be redeemed by that sacrifice of Christ. They don't have any personal sin that needs to be atoned for. Uh, in the Jewish culture, they believe that a baby could sin while in the womb. You know, a man born blind in John chapter 9, uh, the disciples asked him, was it, did he sin or was it his parents that sinned? The, the reason for him being born blind. Well, he would have had to sin in the womb uh, in order for that to happen. And so they believed that that was a possibility. Uh, you might be able to sin, but you wouldn't have any responsibility for it because you would have no uh, no consciousness or awareness of what was what was going on. When you get to that point where you know the right thing to do and then you don't do it, or you know that that's wrong and you do it anyway, then you have personal sin, personal responsibility, and need personal Savior.